Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? Good evening. Clint Russell here, Liberty Lockdown. I'm going to do something I've never done before, and that is read a speech to you. You might be asking yourself, Clint, you're so loquacious. You're so eloquent. Why would you need to read a speech? There's a lesson here. There's a reason I'm doing it. Trust me, it's worth hearing, and trust me, the lesson that I hope to convey afterwards, I think you will find valuable. Without further ado, I speak to you from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, a place of history filled with gravitas, worthy of the task we have set for ourselves at this time in our collective history, to stand up, no, to rage, against a war machine that has perverted the very definition of what it means to be an American. We stand here today at the very nexus of this war machine. To our right, just over the Potomac River, lies the Pentagon, a structure built at a time when America called upon its collective might to defeat the scourge of Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan, but which has since then morphed into the very symbol of evil itself, a breeding ground for weapons and plans that are used by the other partners in what has become known as the military-industrial complex. To spread malfeasance around a world we once protected, but now enslaved through a process of perpetual conflict used to sustain the American war machine. And who are these other partners? Before us, past the monument to our founding father, George Washington, stands the capital of the United States, where the people's representatives fund in great secrecy the nefarious schemes cooked up in the bowels of the Pentagon. And to our left stands the White House, the seat of executive authority, where individuals we invest with singular authority betray the trust of those who put them there by conceiving and implementing policies designed to further the Pentagon's war efforts. This is the very nexus of evil, an unholy trinity of terroristic madness, which some 61 years ago, Dwight D. Eisenhower, an American warrior turned political leader, warned the American people about, cautioning that, quote, in the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist, end quote. In the history of the United States that has transpired since that speech, no truer words have ever been spoken by an American president, and no greater wisdom has been disregarded by those whom Eisenhower entrusted with that message. We, the people of the United States, we stand here today to announce to this terrible trinity, this military industrial complex, this war machine, that we hear you now, President Eisenhower. We hear you and we will act on your warning to bring this nexus of un-American conspiracy to an end. Of all the weapons produced by the military-industrial complex, of all the evil schemes hatched in the minds of the so-called national security experts, most of whom are unelected by and unknown to we, the American people, none reek of madness more than nuclear weapons. Quote, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds, end quote. The father of the American atomic bomb, Robert Oppenheimer, said at the time of the first American nuclear test, destroyer of worlds. This is the ever-present reality that we all live in today, that from this nexus of evil we call the military-industrial complex comes the very weapons necessary to bring the words of the Hindu sacred text that Oppenheimer quoted, the Bhagavad Gita, to life and, in doing so, bring about our collective deaths. 
Most Americans, including many of you assembled here today, live in blissful ignorance of just how close the world has come to being destroyed by Oppenheimer's progeny. On September 26, 1983, a Soviet officer, Lieutenant Colonel Petrov, was on duty at a nuclear early warning station when the system reported that five nuclear-armed missiles had been launched from the United States. Colonel Petrov disregarded protocol requiring him to report this detection as a factual launch, an act that would have triggered a Soviet response, and in doing so, bought precious time for the error to be identified and nuclear war averted. In November 1983, the United States and NATO carried out a command post exercise codenamed Able Archer 83, which tested the launch control procedures for the release of NATO nuclear weapons against Soviet and Warsaw Pact targets. The Soviets, believing this exercise to be a cover for a first strike, placed its nuclear forces on high alert. Later, the CIA assessed that the Able Archer 83 exercise brought the U.S. and Soviets closer to a nuclear conflict than at any time since the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962. And on January 25, 1995, the Soviets detected the launch of a Norwegian atmospheric test rocket that mimicked the track of a U.S. Navy Trident submarine launched nuclear weapon. Fearing a high-altitude nuclear attack that could blind Russian radar, Russian nuclear forces went on high alert, and the nuclear briefcase was delivered to Russian President Boris Yeltsin, who had to make a split-second decision whether to launch a retaliatory nuclear strike against the United States. These three incidents underscore the razor's edge we all walk daily when it comes to living in a world where nuclear weapons exist. One mistake, one error or judgment, and the Bhagavad Gita becomes reality. We were saved from the inevitability of our collective demise by one thing and one thing only, arms control. The deployment into Europe by both the U.S. and Soviet Union of intermediate-range nuclear-armed missiles in the 1980s only increased the possibility of a mistake or misunderstanding that could trigger a nuclear conflict. The fact that these weapons could reach their respective targets in five minutes or less once launch launched meant that 30 to 40-minute buffer of time that existed regarding the use of strategic nuclear forces was no longer there. To put it more starkly, if it were not for the implementation of the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty in 1988 that eliminated these new and dangerous weapons, the January 25, 1995 atmospheric rocket incident would have more than likely resulted in a general nuclear war, simply for the fact that Boris Yeltsin would have been denied the luxury of time to decide not to launch his missiles. Everyone standing here today should reflect on this statement and say a quiet word of thanks to those men and women, American and Soviet alike who made the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty a reality and, in doing so, literally saved the world from nuclear destruction. Arms control, however, is no longer part of the U.S.-Russian dialogue. The American war machine has conspired to denigrate the notion of mutually beneficial disarmament in the minds of the American public, instead seeking to use arms control as a mechanism to achieve unilateral strategic advantage. When an arms control treaty becomes inconvenient to the objective of, Amer of American global domination, then the war machine simply quits. America's record in this regard is damnable. The Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty, the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty, the Open Skies Treaty, all relegated to the trash bin of history in the cause of seeking unilateral advantage for the American war machine. In a world without arms control, we will once again be confronted with a renewed arms race where each side develops weapons that protect nothing while threatening everything. Without arms control, we will return to a time where living on the edge of the abyss of imminent nuclear annihilation was the norm, not the exception. The war machine has allowed the principled position of peaceful coexistence regulated by mutually beneficial treaties governed by the time-tested maximum 
of trust, but verified to be replaced by a new posture defined by a war machine that uses the nuclear weapons establishment and the billions of dollars it costs to maintain it annually as a means of buying off politicians at the expense of the population our government is sworn to protect. This is the final corruption of the military-industrial complex. It's conversion to the military-industrial congressional complex, where we the people are excluded from every consideration, whether it be funding or consequence. The key to sustaining this inherently un-American mechanism is the ability of the military-industrial congressional complex, the war machine, to generate fear amongst the American people derived from ignorance of the true nature of the threat or threats these nuclear weapons are designed to address. In the case of U.S.-Russian relations, this fear is produced by systemic Russophobia, imposed on the American public by a war machine and its compliant minions in the mainstream media. Left to its own device, the collusion between government and media will only further reinforce ignorance-based fear through a process of dehumanizing Russia and the Russian people in the eyes of the American public. Until we have become desensitized to the lies and distortions, accepting at face value anything negative said about Russia. It is here in such a situation that we can turn to scripture, John 8.32, for some guidance, quote, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, end quote. But what truth? The truth is told by the government? As promulgated by the mainstream media? That is no truth, but rather a bodyguard of lies constructed on behalf of a war machine that wants every American to accept without question the legitimacy of weapons, the only known utility of which is the destruction of all mankind. Some 60 years ago, on these very steps, in this very place, a man of peace gave a speech that captured the imagination of the nation and the world, searing into our collective hearts and minds the words, I have a dream. Dr. Martin Luther King's historic address confronted America's sordid history of slavery and the inhumanity and injustice of racial segregation. In it, he dreamed, quote, that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, end quote. All men are created equal. These words resonated in the context of America's desperate internal struggle with a legacy of slavery and racial injustice. But these words apply equally, especially when taken in the context that we are all God's children, black, white, rich, poor, American, Russian. You see, I too have a dream. That the audience gathered here today can find a way to overcome the ignorance-based fears generated by the disease of Russophobia, to open our minds and our hearts to accept the Russian people as fellow human beings deserving of the same compassion and consideration as our fellow Americans, as all humankind. I, too, have a dream. That we, the people of the United States of America, can unite in common cause with the Russian people to build bridges of peace that facilitate an exchange of ideas, open minds closed by the hate-filled rhetoric of Russophobia that is promulgated by the war machine and its allies, and allow the love we have for ourselves to manifest in itself into love and respect for our fellow man, especially those who live in Russia. Newton's third law, that every action has an equal and opposite reaction, applies to the human condition every bit as much as it applies to the physical world. Love thy neighbor as thyself is applicable to all humanity. I, too, have a dream. That by overcoming the hate generated by systemic Russophobia, we can work with our fellow human beings in Russia to create communities of compassion that, when united, make a world filled with nuclear weapons undesirable and policies built on the principles of mutually beneficial arms control second nature. I too have a dream that one day 
Whether on the red hills of Georgia or the black soil of the Kuban, the sons and daughters of the men and women who today operate the Russian and American nuclear arsenals will be able to quote Dr. King, quote, to sit down together at the table of brotherhood, end quote. This is not an impossible dream. I have lived it. I once was cor corrupted by the hatred that comes from fear generated by the ignorance about the reality of those whom I was trained to kill. But I then embarked on a remarkable journey of, of discovery, facilitated by the implementation of the very same Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty that ended up saving humanity from nuclear annihilation, where I came to know the Russian people not as enemy, but as friend, not as opponent, but colleague, as fellow humans capable of the same emotions as myself, imbued with the same human desire to build a better world for themselves and their loved ones, a world free of the tyranny of nuclear weapons. I too have a dream that the people gathered here today will join me on a new journey of discovery, one that tears down the walls of ignorance and fear constructed by the war machine, walls designed to separate us from our fellow human beings in Russia and instead build bridges that connect us to those we have been conditioned to hate. But now, for the sake of ourselves, our children and our grandchildren must learn to love. This will not be an easy journey, but it is one worth taking. This is my journey, your journey, our journey, where we will embark literally down the road less traveled. And yes, it will be the one that will make all the difference. It will take us, as Dr. King once cried out from these very steps, to the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, the mighty mountains of New York, the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania, the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado, the curvaceous slopes of California, to every hill and mole hill of Mississippi. This is an American journey, a journey of Americans united in the cause of peace and justice and a world free from the tyranny of nuclear weapons. Our numbers will grow from 2,000 to 20,000, from 20,000 to 100,000, and from 100,000 to a million or more. And who knows? Maybe in June of 2024, on the anniversary of the 1982 gathering of a million people in New York City's Central Park, where they rallied in favor of nuclear disarmament and an end to the nuclear arms race, we can come together and send a similar message to the war machine. A million people or more demanding that their government act in a manner that preserves and protects the lives and future of all Americans, of all humanity. The 1982 rally set in motion events that led to the implementation of the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty in 1987, a treaty that literally saved the world from nuclear destruction. I, too, have a dream. That together, we can harness the same energy the same vision, the same passion as those who have gone before us and create a movement of people united in the principle of peace that will lead to a future arms control agreement between the United States and Russia that will preserve our collective futures. There will be forces that will try to disrupt us, to dissuade us, to destroy us. We cannot allow ourselves to be intimidated. We must not go gently into that good night, but instead rage, rage against the dying of the light. Rage, Rage against the war machine. Rage, rage, so that together we may breathe life into the words of President Lincoln inscribed on the memorial behind me, quote, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations, end quote. Let us get to work. Whew. Powerful. So why would I read you a speech? Other than that it's one of the best things I've ever read, there's a reason. 
That was written by Scott Ritter. Scott Ritter, who was invited to the Rage Against War rally next week, February 19th in D.C., and then was disinvited and then reinvited and then encouraged strongly to step down, which he did an hour ago. Now, I am not here to lay any sort of claim as to Scott Ritter's guilt or innocence. I know nothing of his backstory in terms of the charges. Um, so that's not the point. The point is, there is something bigger than any reputational concerns. There is something far more important than any of the mob mentality or keeping appearances or anything at all preventing World War III, preventing nuclear war. That is my priority. I believe that is the vast majority of the people involved in the liberty movement's priority. I believe that that priority was lost over the past week. That's my belief. These words are powerful. The messenger may be flawed. Who isn't? Is the world better off because they were unable to hear these words? I would say no. Would these words have prevented World War III? Probably not. But could they have? Yeah, they could have. I don't understand people's priorities. Not in, this, not in the past week. Not in the infighting I've seen. There are so many just flaws within humanity. We are, we are having a bipartisan protest, hopefully to be the biggest anti-war protest in my lifetime. And we're caught up in appearances and canceling others. We were prepared to have communists share the stage with libertarians. No. I have plenty of critiques for communists. I will not elucidate you as to what they are at this point because it's not the point. My point is I can set those differences aside and come together with people that I disagree with vehemently on things that I think matter tremendously because there is something bigger here we must focus on. We don't have enough numbers to have purity tests up and down the dais. We certainly don't have enough numbers to alienate and disassociate from people that aren't purely libertarian when we're trying to not die in a nuclear war. Focus on what matters for the love of God. I am not here also to shame anyone. I'm just imploring you to look within your heart and to think for yourself. Was this the best use of your time? Was the persecution of Scott Ritter the best use of your time? Someone who could have conveyed that beautiful message. And don't lie to yourself. That was a beautiful message. A message that was vitally necessary in this moment. One that gives me chills just as I think about it now. Just consider it. Just think about it. And let me also say, I am not 
telling people to pull out of the, the rally. Quite the contrary. I am telling as many people as humanly possible to show up on February 19th in Washington, D.C. and rage against the war machine. Because I believe that Scott Ritter, even with having stepped down, that's what he would want to. And I hope that's what all of you want, regardless of all the controversy that came from this kerfuffle. That's all. I'll get off my high horse. I love you guys. I want you to live. And for the record, I love the Russian and the Ukrainian people, and I want them to live. And it matters more than our reputations or our infighting or even someone's criminal history or alleged criminal history. It matters more. This matters more. It matters more than anything. Please keep perspective. And please rally. Rally as hard as you possibly can. Try and make a difference. We don't have a ton of power here, but we have a little bit. Make your voices heard and show some love to the people across the political aisle from you. You're going to hear incredible speeches from people that you disagree with deeply on almost everything else. Some things matter more. That's all. Thank you. Let's get into the interview with uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Um, love this guy, and uh, it's another great conversation. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Rag Proper. If I haven't told you about them already, oh, yeah, I have. I've been telling them, telling you about them all week. Well, ragproper.com, you can get yourself. Look at this. Look at this freaking flask. It is so nice. It's the nicest flask I've ever seen. I don't know if it's handcrafted, but it sure looks like it. Glass inside, leather on the outside, metal top. It's a thing of beauty. If you go to ragproper.com, promo code CR10, as in Clint Russell, 10, that will get you 10% off. I told you already, I'm going to be getting both my dad and stepdad one for uh, Father's Day, which is only a couple months away. I'm also going to be getting one from my brother, who's going to have his first baby just a month from now. Couldn't be more excited. I'm going to be an uncle for the first time. Can you see my joy? So yeah, I'm going to go get drunk about it. <laughs> Ragproper.com, promo code CR10. Get yourself 10% off. That is R-A-G-P-R-O-P-E-R.com, promo code CR10. Get on it. Get drunk. Let's go. And we are back with the man that should be sitting on the Supreme Court, but instead, to prevent World War III, he decided to start judging freedom. Thank you for joining us, Judge Andrew Napolitano. <laughs> That is a is an interesting <laughs> introduction. Uh, Clint, it's a pleasure. It's a, always a pleasure to be with you, no matter how you introduce me. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Thank you very much for the time, as always. This is a, this is an important one because um, you, know, you and I have both talked about the Nord Stream pipeline in the past, and anyone with any semblance of rational thinking <laughs> capability uh, knew that the, the narrative that Russia had blown it up was nonsense from the start. Uh, but we didn't really have clarity as to who the players were, exactly how the planning went down. And the great Seymour Hirsch, who was responsible for the uh, MyLie reporting back in the day, he he came out with an incredible substack yesterday where he lays out the entire plot. And it appears as if it began a full 60 days prior to Russia's invasion. Russia, Russia's invasion, which, by the way, was unexpected and unprovoked. And yet we had these plans to blow up their primary export pipeline. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. I mean, uh, did you did you get a chance to look into it? 
Oh, yeah, I read, I read, so I'm a big fan of Cy Hirsch's. Obviously, I don't agree with his politics, uh, except when he exposes uh, government wrongdoing, government excess, in this case, government crimes. So I read the entire uh, report. Uh, there's no way that that's uh, fabricated or exaggerated. Uh, and the government has a lot of explaining to do, as do its apologists in mainstream media. I mean, this should have been this should have been treated the way the Pentagon Papers uh, was treated when Daniel Ellsberg uh, pilfered them from the Department of Defense and gave them uh, to the New York Times uh, and the Washington Post, but it wasn't because the mainstream media is pretty much in bed with the United States and British uh, intelligence services that keep feeding them tidbits of information in return for them uh, painting the government anti-Russian narrative. As to the event itself, clearly, this is an act of war. It's an act of war by the United States uh, government uh, against a purported enemy, Russia, and against a documented ally, Germany. There's absolutely no constitutional, legal, uh, moral, or even political justification for this. I understand the government lies all the time. Everything it says is a lie. Everything it owns, it is it is stolen. Uh, this is really uh, over the top that something like this could have been planned long before the Russian invasion. This is more manifestation of American imperialism and American empire building and American funding of 903 American military bases outside the United States. No human being is familiar with or could even name uh, all of them. Uh, this is the this is American imperialism at its worst, and I don't know where it goes from here. Um, I, I don't care what Joe Biden forgot he stored in his garage or even in his library. This is very, very, very uh, serious stuff. How he can explain this to the German uh, Chancellor? How he can justify this to the uh, American public? from a constitutional, because there's no declaration of war, from a moral, it's the destruction of private and public uh, property, from a legal, it is uh, invasion uh, of another uh, country, um, uh, perspective is beyond me. Yeah, it's, it is, I, I agree, I don't think you're overstating it at all, but I, I think what's interesting is that in fact, Biden's announcement where he said, one way or the other, we will end Nord Stream. And this was in, I believe it was February. It was early, early 2022. Um, it was before it, the invasion. It was right. before the Russian, what do you want to call it? The Russian troops entered uh, Crimea. Correct. Uh, entered yes. uh, entered uh, uh, Ukraine. Right. Um, but he, he had done that immediately after meeting with German higher ups. I forget exactly which politician Hirsch said that he had met with, but essentially he has, you know, insider reporting that confirmed that in fact one of the German politicians green greenlit this. So it's it's a fascinating um dynamic where well, you know well, that it, politician it, I have forgive my intrusion. That politician, if an office holder must be removed from office because that and Joe together visited and are visiting a miserable winter on the German people in the name of trying to cripple uh, the, the Russian government treasury. And they haven't succeeded in the latter at all, but they have succeeded in the former. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, I mean, I don't know what the, 
the terminology would be in Germany, but I feel like that politician, whoever he may be, uh, committed treason against his own people. I mean, that, that is that is horrific, uh, not to mention the the moral uh, just... You're right. An unbelievable right. abomination it, it, of, of risking World War III and, and doing so. Right. I mean, if you um, define treason as Madison did, waging war against them, referring to the states, uh, waging war against your own country, participating and facilitating a war against your own country is the very uh, definition uh, of treason. I mean, yeah. if you had asked a military person uh, not an intel person, a military person, uh, about this uh, six months before it happened. They would have said, are you crazy? They'll start World War III. And that's where we are. Now, according to Cy Hirsch, the military and intelligence communities uh, were involved. If Joe Biden had used just intel, as Barack Obama did when he uh, bombed uh, Libya to uh, get rid of Colonel Gaddafi, he and Hillary thought they'd be uh, heroes over this. He doesn't have to report that to the uh, Congress under the War Powers Resolution, but the use of the military requires that report. There was no such uh, report. And according to Sy, you know, it was planned by military and intelligence, but carried out by the Navy. That's the military. That's the use of the military to wage war in another country. Inconceivable because that country is our stated uh treated contractual public accepted ally germany um but yet they he he did it and violated the constitution and federal law well i mean you you know as well as anybody what that would amount to in terms of process and how that might be addressed by the congress do you think that that Congress will do anything to try and hold Biden to account. You know, the, the Republicans in the House are more interested in the hot political stuff like Twitter and the FBI, which is a serious issue. Sure. Uh, or Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, they should be investigating this this morning and their first witness should be Cy Hirsch. Mm. And it should be in prime time uh, on national television. That's how serious uh, this is. Do you think I, I am sure that what Cy Hirsch reported, which I think came out last night, was known to Vladimir Putin for months. Of course. Just as it was known by American intel, it surely was known uh, by Russian intel, which is the equal of ours when it comes to the ability to gather data. Yeah. Well, it, and I think that this, this kind of circles back to the point that I, I have made a few times on my show is that it seems like the only thing preventing us from being an all-out World War III is Putin's calm demeanor. And this is complete, yes. completely counter yeah. to what the mainstream narrative is. He's a reckless madman, yada, yada, yada. But in reality, what we now have pretty solid evidence of is that the U.S. has consistently provocated this conflict, this war. And So and we have weapons of mass destruction on the Russian border. They have nothing on our borders. Right. Putin has not threatened Joe Biden. Lindsey Graham has publicly asked Joe Biden to send a team to assassinate Putin. So you tell me which side is more rational, more uh, peace loving, uh, and which side is crazy, and which side is destructive. It, it's it's a it's an obvious 
uh, and easy answer. Vladimir Putin says he's not going to kill Zelensky. He's not going to shoot uh, at Americans. Well, what happens if American troops are on the ground, Joe, and are you going to put them there without a declaration of war? What do you expect will happen? Right now, they're there out of uniform, and Putin's people are carefully not doing anything. Putin is careful and meticulous. He's a butcher, but with respect to the West, he's careful, meticulous, and credible. Yes, and, and probably the only reason we're not already in a hot World War III. It, it, like, it's, just, it's just so scary to me to be honest that we like the the thing keeping us from you know being in a full out hot war is ultimately this guy who i don't you know i don't have a lot of love for either you know i'm like i'm scared of him too but compared to our po political class i'm like well he seems like the only one that's keeping us from having a draft and a full-on military industrial complex free-for-all and it's just it's crazy I, how did we you get know, the here? world the world possible? is turned up the world is turned upside down yeah. I mean, 15 years ago, you and I would have laughed if someone said we were going to be having this kind of a conversation where the American president is the unlawful, clandestine aggressor and the exactly. Russian dictator is the publicly calm um, actor uh, in, in all of this. It's just, it's just crazy. It shows you what's become of the American government, which the late, great Ayn Rand said is in an inversion. The government Madison gave us needed a consensus and the permission of the governed to do nearly everything. Today, the governed needs the government's permission to do nearly anything. Mm. The government is living on borrowed time and fake money. And when all else fails, Joe, when you're committed to spending a trillion a year more than you collect, in one year, two trillion more than you collect, what do you do? You take the country to war. Mm. And, and, you know, what were we all talking about a week ago now? A balloon. Right. A balloon that the government knew about for months and knows about and is very uh, familiar with. But you want to get the public's eye off real problems or you want to generate animosity towards China in anticipation of some uh, absurd knee-jerk uh, defense of Taiwan? Start to, start to meaning China uh, over over a balloon right well and and then you have the the state of the union which i wanted to get your take on too is uh you know biden had one of the most bizarre moments in his presidency in my opinion where just this un uncontrollable outburst where he goes who name me a single political leader across the globe that would trade places with xi jinping and it was like it's obvious that it was supposed to be in response to the the balloon issue that ha had happened the week prior but it was so unhinged and it made no sense. And I just feel like the whole world must have been bewildered as to what his claim was. Do you have any clue what he was trying to say there? No, no. The Joe Biden that I knew and used to sit next to on the Acela, that's the government train that goes from Boston to New York to D.C. and he would get on in Wilmington. That Joe Biden is not the same guy. It's the same body. It's the same human being. But that sure. Joe Biden was a middle-of-the-road uh, Scoop Jackson, JFK, Catholic pro-life Democrat. This, this President Joe Biden, the present President Joe Biden, is the same person, but is tugged hard to the left. Uh, and you're right, is unhinged. The part of the State of the Union that irritated me the most, and I know I make enemies whenever I say this, is our Republican friends. Mm. Uh, when Joe Biden said uh, the Republicans 
want to address Medicare and uh, Medicaid, and they all booed, saying no. Of course they should address it. It's profoundly unconstitutional to take my money and hold it and then promise to give it back to me. They don't hold anybody's money. They take it and, uh, and spend it. It's a Ponzi scheme, which if you or I or anybody listening to us engaged them, we'd end up like Bernie Madoff. But when Congress does it, um, it's, uh, it's lawful. Of course, they should look at Social Security and Medicare. It's bleeding us dry. Phase it out. Let it be voluntary. You want to keep your money and invest it the way you want? Fine. You want us to invest it for you? You really trust the federal government with your money? You're stupid enough to do that? We'll let you do it. But to (laughs) compel it is profoundly unconstitutional. It's a form of theft. There are maybe five Republicans in the House who would agree with everything uh, that I just said. Uh, And they are terrified of making an argument like that. Not those five. The rest of the Republicans are terrified of making an argument like that. Well, this is the whole... Kevin McCarthy and his crew are for the birds. They're just part of the big government problem. Bingo. Yeah. And this is exactly the the Michael Malice quote of uh, conservatives are progressives going the speed limit. And uh, yes, I mean, that these are all FDR programs, essentially, that are now uh, the the GOP is the vanguard of their defense. And, and I just... Correct. You, you, you'll right. never see them. The senator, I'll, I'll tell you a senator that surprised me. It turns out that when Joe Biden uh, said the Republicans have offered to address Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid in our negotiations, he was referring to a proposal by Senator Rick Scott of Florida, whom I've always viewed as a big state governor and sort of a center-right but big government Republican, if, if there is such a thing, center-right, big government, Republican, I guess there are a lot of them. But here's his proposal. Every federal law, every federal law should sunset after five years. And you know who believed that? Thomas Jefferson mm. wanted the Constitution to sunset every 19 years. I don't know where he came up wow. with 19. Maybe that was a generation in those days. Right, right. So that we would have to reenact it and re-ratify it. And the same thing with federal laws. If they're so great, Congress will vote for them um, again. Yeah. And and the the Republicans would have nothing to do with this uh, when he offered it. It is sane. It's on its face neutral. It's rational. It's constitutional. But it's against big government. So they're against it. Yeah. Well, that's disappointing to say the least. Let's get you out of here on this. We got uh, the hearings about big tech today, and we got AOC absolutely lying once again about Hunter Biden's laptop. Let's just listen to it for a second. A Washington Post article now warning about Hunter Biden laptop disinformation, the guy who leaked it. Here's the deal. Before I even get into my questions, I think that the, the story here with the New York, uh, with the Washington Post reporting is that what they're saying right here, when the New York Post first reported in October 2020 that it had obtained contents of a laptop computer allegedly owned by Joe Biden's son Hunter, there was an immediate roadblock faced by other news outlets that hoped to corroborate reporting, as many did. The newspaper wasn't sharing what it obtained. New York Post had this alleged information and was trying to publish it without any corroboration, without any backup information. They were trying to publish it to Twitter. Twitter did not let them And now they were upset. I believe that political operatives who sought to inject explosive disinformation with the Washington Post couldn't get away with it. Uh, 
How are they still calling this disinformation? I, I, I really don't know, except that they can never admit uh, that they were wrong. And, you know, there's the old Hermann Goering. If you say something long enough and loud mm. enough, people will believe it, even if it is a profound and, and objective uh, untruth. I don't know where this goes. I don't know if this is Joe, Joe's Achilles heel or if the, the boy is not a boy. Hunter is just uh, uh, a crook that's gotten away with a lot of things because his last name is Biden. I don't know where this goes. Uh, I think the destruction of the Nord Stream uh, pipeline is far more serious, but I know that this is a hot topic that people are uh, talking about. I mean, yesterday we heard out of the mouths of Twitter that government agents did ask them uh, to suppress the voices of scientists who wanted to question the efficacy uh, of the uh, of the vaccine. This is this is the, the Trump administration um, frustrating the president himself. This is the government uh, doing indirectly suppressing speech on the basis of its content. Mm -hmm. What it is absolutely prohibited from doing directly by the First Amendment. This is very, very, very serious stuff. The, the irony is it's not the same Twitter. There's no Twitter to punish. The Twitter that did this doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. This is not the new Twitter. This is not the Elon Musk Twitter. He's not perfect. He, he bans Kanye West, who's hateful. He bans Alex Jones, who's a great man. Uh, but he does permit a lot more freedom of speech than yeah. the old Twitter did. But it is the old Twitter that was in this symbiotic relationship uh, with the government. And the agents of the government who did this engaged in a profound um, uh, misconduct and office, and something should be done, whether it's an, uh, an HR issue or whether it's a criminal issue. I don't know which. Yeah, uh, I don't know either. It's what just on a more global conversation. I just want to get your opinion as to this. Uh, what I don't understand is how we come together as a people, because like, for instance, the the weapons of mass destruction, right? We, there was a huge percentage of people that believed that lie early on, probably 90% of Americans. And now it's probably inverted where 10% are still delusional and think that there was WMDs and the 90% are like, okay, yeah, we, we got lied to. This is one of those instances where there is no movement whatsoever from half of this nation, even when ironclad evidence is presented to demonstrate that they have been deceived once again. And I don't know how you live amongst people like that, that literally cannot take any information unless Washington Post or the media just force feeds it to them. It's uh, it's disturbing. I, I, I fully agree with you. I, I, I think uh, it's because, uh, you know, a dozen eggs cost 15 bucks. The people are far more uh, concerned with that, even though it's caused by the government and it's caused by the same mentality that's caused this problem. Right. Um, uh, not willing to engage in serious uh, discourse about this. I was just on with uh, another podcaster who said, what can we do? And I usually say, you know, lobby your member of Congress. That's not going to do any good. Right. It's not going to do any good. There are, the Republicans will cave on raising uh, the debt ceiling. They'll continue to borrow at least a trillion a year. Look, Trump borrowed four trillion uh, in four years. Uh, Joe is on record of bar or uh, is on course to borrow uh, more than that. 
Bush blew $2 trillion in the Iraq uh, and Iran wars. This is serious money. These are debts that have to be paid back. This will force higher taxes and higher uh, interest rates and interest that has to be paid on generations as yet unborn. We're still paying the interest on the $30 billion Woodrow Wilson borrowed to finance World War I. The government never retires its debt. No, but it will retire our savings accounts at some point. So, <laughs> yeah, nicely put. Ni nicely put. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in once again. Please go subscribe to Judging Freedom. I I never ever miss a single interview you do, including at the top of my list whenever they pop up. Uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor. I can't tell you how important the work you're doing is in terms of getting. The, the counter narrative to the nonsense that we're being force fed when it comes to the Ukraine war. Um, and uh, I just want to encourage you to keep going, brother. Thank you again. Thank you. Last week, I got pissed off at old Joe. I called up my producer. I said, I just want to do a 10 minute rant. I came up here extemporaneous, nothing Love prepared. It. And I, I talked for 10 minutes, 450,000 views wow. and 90,000 90, messages. 99.99999% of which were over the top gratitude. Incredible. Well, I, I don't know how I missed people, that one. People are getting this. People are, are, are getting the message. They're not getting it from mainstream. Right. With the exception of my friend Tucker Carlson, they're not even getting it from my former colleagues and buddies at Fox. Indeed. They're getting it from people like you and me. Yeah. Well, that all the more reason we have to keep going. And uh, I hope people continue to show their support. Judging Freedom, Judge Edgy Napolitano, thank you so much. Always, always the best, Clint. Let's go back to once a week. It's a very happy time for me. Indeed. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, apologize that I'm still nuked on YouTube, but I will be back there soon. The suspension, uh, it was two weeks, so I'm actually technically allowed to upload to YouTube again. Uh, but because if I get a third strike, I'm permabanned. I can't risk it. So it takes three months for those strikes to fall off. So there's a good chance I won't post anything unless one of those strikes get uh, appealed successfully, which I'm told that there's a high probability that one or both of them will, which would be great. Um, if that doesn't happen, then I probably won't post there. And you can only find me on Rumble or my locals, obviously. Uh, so libertylockdown.locals.com or search for Clint Russell or Liberty Lockdown over on Rumble and you should be able to find me. I'll also link in the description below so it makes it easy for you to find it. Make sure you subscribe over there. And other than that, just keep catching it on the audio downloads. It's the easiest way. They seem to censor that the least. So I can keep saying radical shit and they can't stop me. Well, for now, we'll see. Um, thank you guys for supporting my work. I love what I do. I love this movement and... I love everybody involved, even in the skirmish on both sides of this debate. I understand the people that are taking this stance that Scott shouldn't have spoken and that he needed to step down. I understand it. I get it. I also understand the people that take more my vantage point and say, look, we just got to set everything aside for one day. We just got to do it. That's how I lean, but I understand the people that feel differently. And I'm not saying you're bad people, and I'm not even saying you're wrong necessarily. I'm just saying... Think about how powerful that speech would have been. Just think about it. Allow your bias to be set aside and just feel those words. Sometimes you have to separate the art from the artist. And I think this would have been a good time to do it. Just my two cents. Still love you guys. Please don't be mad at me. <laughs> um, 
you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Liberty Lock Pod. About 70,000 followers now, almost. Crazy. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. I don't ever tell you guys that, but you can search Liberty Lockdown and find me there. What else? Toplobster.com. Pick up Liberty Lockdown shirts. Link in the description below. And make sure, make sure that you go get a flask from ragproper.com. Promo code CR10. I will catch you guys next week. Love you a long time. We're out of here. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?